For the past five chapters, we have discussed various things. Jung's model of the psyche, Christ's symbology of the perfect man, and the necessity of opposites. What has not been given much focus thus far is the subject that this book is titled after. The concept of an ion was briefly discussed in the preface for this series, but we haven't really touched on it since then. The time has come to elucidate the real meaning behind the book's title and its relation to all that has come before. Let us first review what was said in the preface. Some of you might remember this picture, which I described as a basic diagram of the universe. The dot in the middle represents the sun. The dots surrounding the sun represent the earth at different points in time, and the big circle surrounding both the earth and the sun are the constellations in the sky. Note the astrological names surrounding the big circle. In regards to the dots that represent earth, note the two labeled 1 AD and 2000 AD. At any time between these 2,000 years, if you were to look up at the sun during the spring equinox, the constellation of Pisces would be in the background. This period of 2,000 years was defined as the Ion of Pisces. For the majority of this book, Jung studies the defining figure of the Ion of Pisces. That figure was Jesus Christ the symbol of the perfect man that all human beings wished to emulate. In the last chapter, we analyzed why Jesus was a symbol of the perfect man. For chapter 6, we will begin to see how Jesus' influence manifested over the last 2,000 years throughout the Ion of Pisces. In order to make sense of that influence, we need to start by analyzing what is arguably the most influential, pervasive, well-known symbol of Jesus. The one we have seen on the backs of cars all of our lives. The fish. Now, why is Jesus symbolized as a fish? We'll give the simple answer first. During the early days of Christianity, it was illegal to be a Christian in certain parts of the world, namely the Roman Empire. In order to protect the lives of Christians in the Roman Empire and maintain worship of Jesus, Christians would signal to each other by wearing the symbol of the ichthys. Ichthys, in ancient Greek, translates to fish. One of the reasons why the ichthys was chosen to symbolize Jesus was because the Greek spelling of ichthys serves as an acronym. For simplicity's sake, the first letter means Jesus, the second letter means Christ, the third letter means God, the fourth letter means Son, and the fifth letter means Savior. The acronym literally translates to Jesus Christ, God's Son, our Savior. The appropriateness of symbolizing Jesus as a fish is not limited to the ichthys acronym. There are several references to fish in the Christian Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus had 12 disciples, several of whom were fishermen. Jesus intended to make his disciples, quote, fishers of men, meaning they were to seek converts. In John 21:11, Jesus' disciples were having trouble fishing with their nets, until Jesus suggested they cast their nets on the other side of the boat. Upon doing this, they drew in hundreds of fish. There was also the miracle known as the Feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus took five loaves of bread and two fish and multiplied them to feed a crowd of followers. There are multiple other references beyond this, but we won't go into them for the sake of time. Now that the simple answer has been given as to why Jesus is symbolized as a fish, we must now give the complicated answer, the Jungian answer. 
As I stated a moment ago, the fish symbol is relevant to the Ion of Pisces, but I didn't elaborate much beyond that. This is where things get weird. As I said before, the constellations in the sky are given astrological symbols. You might recognize some of them. Aries is symbolized by a ram. Taurus is symbolized by a bull. In regards to the constellation of Pisces, it is symbolized by fish. Let that sink in for a moment. According to Jung, we have no reason whatever to suppose that the stories of Jesus are disguised as astrological myths. Edward Edinger confirms that there was no general knowledge that the sun had moved into Pisces. So, what does one do with the knowledge that both Pisces and Jesus are symbolized by fish? Well, to Jung, this is exemplary of his theory of synchronicity. Again, I won't go into too much detail as to what synchronicity is for the sake of time. I will just give a brief definition and then point you towards one of my videos that expands on the synchronicity theory. Synchronicity occurs when an inner image matches up with an outer image and produces a meaningful experience. For example, maybe you have a dream about a person that you haven't seen in 10 years, and the next day, you run into them. That is what synchronicity is. For more explanation on what synchronicity is, please refer to my video titled Silent Hill Mythology, The Multiple Dimension Theory. Link in the description box below. Let us now apply the synchronicity theory to our current fish conundrum. What first started off as an inner image in the minds of ancient astrologers was projected onto the sky. They saw the constellation, and then their inner voice, their unconscious minds, confirmed that it would be best to symbolize that constellation with fish. When the ion of Pisces began, that inner phenomenon of fish became manifest in physical reality, or at least in the reality of the Gospels. While one is welcome to deny the historical validity of the Gospels, one cannot deny the prevalence of the fish symbol since the 3rd century AD. Like I said in the last video, I am not here to pass judgment on Jung's theories or their scientific validity. I am merely presenting what he said. You can say that the products of synchronicity are mere coincidences, and that is an argument we should all be willing to hear. But what we should also be willing to take into account are the increasing number of quote-unquote coincidences that tend to occur when projecting inner images onto the stars. The primary example this chapter focuses on are conjunctions of the planets, and the significance that astrologers have projected onto this phenomenon. Sometimes, the planets in our solar system will align in the sky. When this happens, the people who observe it project their inner thoughts and images onto it. Because these planets are aligning with such mathematical precision, people project a belief that something significant will happen. Once again, I am not here to pass judgment on anything Jung says, including the scientific validity of astrology. I am simply going to list the examples Jung provides when planets have aligned and something significant supposedly happened. The majority of the examples that Jung lists involve a conjunction of the planets Jupiter and Saturn. In many cultures, such as the Greeks, the Sabians, and the Iranians, Saturn was a black star, one that signified death, and was the source of many sneaky spawn. In contrast, Jupiter signified life. It was the king of justice. If we have learned anything about the necessity of opposites and their interplay in the last five chapters, it wouldn't make sense, from a psychological point of view, to place importance on these two planets aligning. 
For example, there was a conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn in the year 1396 BC. According to legend, it was around the time this conjunction happened that Judaism, as a religion, was born, because Moses was born three years later in 1393. Now, of course, even Jung admits that this is legendary and isn't based in anything concrete, but let us look at a few other conjunctions before we dismiss this all outright. In the year 7 BC, there were no less than three conjunctions of Jupiter and Saturn in the sign of the fishes. The greatest approximation occurred on May 29th of that year, the planets being only 0.21 degrees apart, less than half the width of the full moon. From the astrological point of view, this conjunction must have appeared especially significant, because the approximation of the two planets was exceptionally large and of an impressive brilliance. It is theorized that because there was a conjunction of these opposite planets in the sign of the fishes, right when the ion of Aries was ending, that this signaled the birth of Jesus Christ. This wasn't merely inferred by Jung, but actually cited in the Bible, specifically Matthew 2, 1 and 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. According to Jung, this extraordinary constellation inferred an equally extraordinary birth. This anecdote proves that Christ, possibly even at the time of the Apostles, was viewed from the astrological standpoint or was at least brought into connection with astrological myths. Now, let us take a step back from conjunctions for a moment. Before we move on, it is necessary to address a potential discrepancy that some of you might have picked up on. If Jesus is symbolized as a fish and was born under the sign of the fishes, why aren't there two messiahs? Isn't it reasonable, going by the logic of astrology, to assume that if one projects two fishes into the sky, that would indicate two messiahs in the Ion of Pisces? This is an important observation, and in order to address it effectively, I will use an illustration from Edinger's Ion Lectures. What you see here is the way the constellation of Pisces looks like in relation to the path the sun takes through the heavens. Look at how the vertical fish is positioned. The first fish is labeled as Christ, because the years of Christianity's development run parallel to the sun's position in relation to the first fish, which is roughly 1,000 years. But that leaves the second fish. What is the second fish? Once again, Jung evokes the necessity of opposites. The second fish represents Antichrist. As we discussed in the last chapter, there is an opposite element for pretty much anything, for without it, there is no dimension. For Christ, he too needs his opposite. Jung backs up his assertion by listing the important Christian events that happened in the age of the first fish, and the anti-Christian events that happened in the age of the second fish. Oddly enough, these events tend to follow a somewhat mathematical procession, with each key event happening every 500 years or so. Nothing is quite precise, but nonetheless, the key events cluster around the nodal points of 500 years. For example, in the year 529 AD, there was the establishment of the first monastery by Saint Benedict, a very important moment in the development of the Christian faith. The importance of this event is heightened when one takes into account that, like with Christ's birth, a conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn happened roughly two years later. 
Around the midpoint of the Ion of Pisces, when the age of the second fish was just beginning, were the beginnings of Christian heresies and cults, the challenging of Christian doctrine. The instigator of these was Joachim of Flora. Joachim was an Italian theologian and an apocalyptic thinker. After experiencing a religious vision, Joachim was motivated to conceive of the Christian trinity as an historical process. To him, the 1,000 years which preceded Jesus Christ was the age of the Father. The 1,000 years that followed after that, naturally, were the age of Jesus. For the period of 1,000 years that would lead up to 2000 AD, Joachim conceived of this as the age of the Holy Spirit. Where the prior ages were based on a subordination of oneself to God, Jesus, and the Church, this new age would be like a subordination to the forces of one's unconscious mind. The Holy Spirit that lived within each person would govern one's thoughts and actions. The natural consequence of this notion was that people didn't need God, that they constituted heaven, that they were supermen who could enact a critical approach to the Gospels. Jung attributes these movements as the beginning of the anti-Christian sentiment which would define the next millennium, a sentiment that was brought about by an unconscious vision. In Jung's mind, Joachim was seized by an archetype. His unconscious contents directed his conscious actions. If this weren't the case, Joachim would not have ushered in a doctrine that was so heretical and subversive, so thoroughly condemned by his contemporaries. The only way a pious man like Joachim could have done this is if he was seized by the spirit, the archetype that would define the new anti-Christian era. While Joachim's perspective was modern in its outlook and is more or less adopted by many religious people today, it was also the precursor to something malevolent. The belief that one did not need God and could be critical of the Gospels was the top of the slippery slope. Even though the Spirit of God animated these movements, the Spirit became non-spiritual and that vitalizing archetype gradually degenerated into rationalism, intellectualism, and doctrinarism. This is what constitutes the nodal point of 1500 AD. The movements that cropped up around this time were increasingly anti-Christian in their orientation. The Renaissance, the Reformation, the Enlightenment, the French Revolution, the emergence of science, and the theory of evolution. All of which brought about their positive elements, obviously, but also brought about their negative elements, vis-a-vis -vis the necessity of opposites. The key negative element that Jung takes issue with is what was illustrated in the last chapter. Though these anti-Christian movements had their value with criticizing superstition, technological advancement, and the like, it also resulted in what Nietzsche referred to as the death of God, the decimation of the moral structures that had bolstered billions of people for thousands of years. The consequence of the death of God was the advent of nihilism and totalitarianism, Without that higher state to aspire to, symbolized by God and Jesus, people would either revert to a worship of nothing, or replace their worship of God with worship of the state. In order to solve what Jung referred to as this tragedy of modern times, the human species would have to bring these irreconcilable opposites into balance. They would have to recognize the positive and negative elements in the symbolically Christian and the symbolically anti-Christian stance, and bring them into a state of wholeness. 
The process of unifying the opposites is theoretically what will follow in the next ion, the ion of Aquarius. Aquarius is symbolized as a water bearer. And this makes sense because what do fish swim in? Water. When the Christian and anti-Christian forces have been fully established, they will need to come together somehow in the water they both occupy. Now when that will happen is dubious. It's also dubious whether the anti-Christian age is completely done, given the unprecise nature of astrological measurement. This is why I said the Antichrist might be still coming at the end of the last video. If Jesus was birthed at the beginning of the Ion of Pisces, maybe the Antichrist will be birthed at the end. However, this is predicated on one's belief that these sentiments can be personified in the human body. Nonetheless, this pair of opposites will need to be brought into balance. Otherwise, we suffer the negative consequences of one or both sentiments. If Jung's point of view on this has any validity that the opposites need to come together, one should be rightly terrified. After all, given the state of our public discourse, how willing we are to vilify the other side for merely having an opinion, it doesn't seem like unification is going to happen anytime soon. Thank you all for watching. If you like this video, please give it a like. If you want to see more content like this, make sure to hit that subscribe button. Also, if you like the work I'm doing here and want to support me, please consider going to my Subscribestar campaign. Depending on how much you donate, you will gain a certain number of rewards, including access to my gamer tags, uh, access to movie night, and much more. If you don't have the ability to donate, that's totally cool. Really, the best thing you can do to help me out is share this video around with a friend on social media media, wherever. Finally, if you want more discussion surrounding ION, make sure to subscribe to both Uberboyo and Jimmy Boyo. They provide a lot more insight into these concepts and find ways to make the subject less terrifying and much more fun. Until next time, just remember, stay yellow.